0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the PackerNet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist. as always, Ryan Flipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore that Well, we kind of uh, had a lot to talk about yesterday, just in terms of big picture. We didn't really dig in whatsoever in terms of statistics or anything, because it, you know, just felt like that was not the right course of action. Because it's a big day, man. But I do want to uh, at least take a minute to kind of dig in a little bit. Not to mention, we've also got PFF, which considering the offense, defense, and special teams did a good job. It's going to be one of the better PFF days. In fact, it was the highest grade that PFF has given the Packers all season. Um, and and look, I, I know we we kind of acknowledge to some degree that um, there's a, there's an asterisk next to it, but I don't want to get too hung up on that. Baltimore didn't have their quarterback either. And they were also missing a lot of other people. We've been facing banged up, beat up teams, pretty much since at least the midway point in the season. There's no guarantee that you're going to execute at that high of a level for four quarters, or you know, three and a half quarters, or whatever you want to say. It doesn't. It didn't have to be that way. And so maybe you can't do as much of a backflip. Maybe you can say, yeah, well, if we had, you know, Michael Pierce, and if we had. Adam Thielen, if we had our starting quarterback, and if we had et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, it would have been a different outcome. That's fair. But it didn't have to be this outcome. The Packers could have lost the game. That was an option, just so we're clear. Did you see the Tampa Bay Buccaneers game? I mean, they won, but barely. What do you think? Which do you think is a better team? The depleted Vikings or the Jets? I'm going to tell you confidently it's the depleted Vikings. Let's also not forget the best player on this team by far played in this game. His name is Justin Jefferson. He played four quarters in this game. Well, the quarterback wasn't very good, couldn't get it to him. Okay, well, even if that's true, could they run the ball? This is a team that's very good at running the ball. This is a team that has Dalvin Cook, which, you know, I told you he's having an off day, but I'm sure nobody believed me anyway, so let me ask you. How good was Dalvin? This team does run the ball quite well, right? And, and that's the thing. I mean, we, we can dance around it. We, well, we were able to stack the box because of the quarterback. First of all, I don't think we did. I don't remember seeing eight men in the box every single play. But even if we did, come on. You're telling me we're a man-on-man against Justin Jefferson, and, the, and he's obviously getting wide open, and the quarterback just never could get to him? Some of this is made up. They had talent on the team. This is a team that is good at running the football. They have one of the best wide receivers, depending on the metric, maybe the best wide receiver in football, is still on the team. They still have some really good defenders on the team. The Packers just marching down the field, scoring points after points after points after points, didn't have to happen. The execution, the blocking, the passing being absolutely pinpoint. I'm sorry, but a depleted roster doesn't take control of Aaron Rodgers' arm and throw it at the perfect angle with the perfect velocity to get the ball to land right into Devontae Adams' hands. The, the, the depleted wide uh, cornerback group for the Minnesota Vikings isn't making these toe-tap-tap catches for Devontae Adams. Devontae has to make the catches. Aaron Rodgers has to make the throws. The offensive line has to do the pass blocking and the run blocking. The running backs have to do the running and the catching and the blocking. They still have to execute. They still have to run the plays properly. Did you watch the Dallas Cowboys game and how they lost? Mistake after mistake after mistake. Special teams. I mean, are we just going to pretend that the Vikings not having their quarterbacks somehow made our special teams better? So the the point I'm making is, I'll acknowledge that this was an easier path than it would have been if the Vikings were completely healthy, which, by the way, the Packers are not completely healthy either, but we'll, we'll table that. But I don't want to just completely dismiss this game by any stretch of the imagination. What we watched wasn't just, I mean, and, and, and here's the other thing, you know when you see those kinds of games. When you watch a bad team beat another team because the other team beat itself so badly, right? You see it all over Twitter, you see it all over the place. Both teams are trying to give this, this game away. It's, it's, we make mistakes, and then we give the ball back, and then, you know, they just can't capitalize because they're so bad, and we end up winning by 10, but it's nothing to be proud of. That wasn't this game. This was not an ugly game. This was a beautiful game, and it was because of just very, very good execution, which is harder to do against better competition. But it's not a guarantee. You still have to go do it. Thirty-seven to ten is not guaranteed. I don't care if it's the, wor- I mean, the worst team in football. We can call it Jacksonville if you want. They won two games. They beat the Buffalo Bills. There, there, there's no guarantees. You have to go execute, and if you win by this wide of a margin, you did something right. Sean Mannion, quarterback for the Minnesota Vikings, and this is the thing. I mean, he was more or less kept in check, but how many interceptions did he throw? Remember against Baltimore, how many picks we got, and we still barely won, and it was just ugly, ugly, ugly all over the place, and we were lucky that we had like 55 interceptions because we would have lost the game otherwise? Sean Mannion, 22 of 36, 189 yards, one touchdown, zero interceptions. We had no interceptions. We only sacked him twice. That's definitely not the best game ever by a quarterback, but it's not like he came out there and just kept punting the ball to our safeties. He was more or less just kept in check. Aaron Rodgers, on the other hand, 29 of 38, 288 yards, 7.6-yard average, two touchdowns, zero interceptions, 114.8 passer rating. Sean Mannion, 84.1 passer rating. How about Dalvin Cook? Again, I told you the guy's having a down, down game, however... He ran for 13 yards in this game. You say, well, he didn't carry the ball very much. He had nine carries. We've seen games which with uh, Aaron Jones or Jamal Williams with nine carries before usually generate more than 13 yards. That's a 1.4-yard average. And again, if we're going to give them a hard time when they can't tackle, if if we're going to give them a hard time when they struggle to stop the run, if you keep Dalvin Cook to nine carries, 13 yards, 1.4 yards per carry, I think you have to give them credit for that. In fact, uh, how many times do you think that's happened in his career? His next lowest game ever, and by the way, he only had nine carries against Cleveland. He had three point, he had 34 yards, 3.78 yards per attempt. So in terms of attempts, he has had that low. His lowest yards per carry this year outside of his 1.44 against the Packers was 3.05 against uh, Cincinnati. His lowest last year, 3.2 yards per carry. He had one game where he ran only 12 times. That was against the Packers. He managed 50 yards, 4.17 yards per carry. So 3.2 was his lowest in 2020. In 2019, he had three games below three, but nothing anywhere near the game against Green Bay. He had uh, 16 carries, 41 yards against Philadelphia, 14 carries, 35 yards against Chicago, and then his lowest... 11 carries, 26 yards, 2.36 average. So that was 11 carries, only 2.36 yards. And he had, again, two games with nine carries. Once against the Chargers, three-yard average. Once against Seattle, 3.22-yard average. Here we go. We got to go to 2018, nine carries, 12 yards, 1.33 yards. The Chicago Bears in 2018 beat us by one yard. Listen to what I said. 2018. What do you know about 2018 Chicago Bears? one of the best defenses we've seen in the last 10 years. No, I'm not drawing a parallel saying that that's how good we are. I'm just showing you how good of a performance that was in this game. His lowest in 2017 was 3.59 yards per carry. Anyways, continuing on, on the Packers side of things, Patrick Taylor, who I mentioned, statistics maybe not have been that great, but um, I thought he looked fantastic. Six carries, 18 yards, three yards per carry. A.J. Dillon, 14 carries, 63 yards, 4.5 yards per carry. Aaron Jones, 8 carries, 76 yards, 9.5 yards per carry. His longest was a 28-yarder, so it's not like he had a 75-yarder mixed in there or something. He was just cooking. Which, by the way, I love this. This is how the running back, uh, the, the backfield, is meant to be structured. This is sort of what I was hoping, and I think a lot of us were hoping for, All along, As much as we love Aaron Jones, Aaron Jones shouldn't be getting the bulk of the carries. Back when it was Aaron Aaron Jones getting 15 carries and A.J. Dillon getting 7, or, you know, in this case, 14 and 8, that was exactly backwards. But if A.J. Dillon isn't quite the guy, then he's not quite the guy, I guess. And it's still going to be a case-by-case basis, depending on the team and what they want to do. I'm sure it'll switch back and forth. But the ability to hammer... A.J. Dillon at 4.5 yards per carry and just beat a defense to death. And there's a lot of guys who can beat a defense to death, but if you're getting two yards, three yards per carry, you're hurting your team. A.J. Dillon grinding for 4.5 yards per carry, and then you bring in Aaron Jones completely fresh so that he can get nine and a half yards per carry on eight carries. Again, I'm not saying this is going to happen every time, but this is the ideal. On top of the fact that Aaron Jones is fresh just for the postseason. Because we don't have to run him into the ground. We don't even have to give him his usual 14-15 carries a game. We can give him eight. And what an impact he has with his eight carries. It's incredible. 76 yards he gave us. That's a great day. That's more than A.J. Dillon did with 14 carries. As for our receivers, Devontae absolutely just devoured in this game. And again, if you're watching this. There's no way in the world you can look at this and say the only reason Rodgers and Devontae are doing as well as they did is because of how bad the defense is is injured or whatever. That's silly. These these two have had a connection for, I don't know, five weeks now? That is like I've never seen. I mean, I, I remember Rodgers and Jordy had a real airtight connection for quite a long time, I and mean, we've seen Rodgers and Devontae with a really good connection, but... I have not seen this kind of a mind meld between any two quarterbacks ever. I don't think like I'm seeing right now with Rodgers. And De- I mean, consistently, you know, individual games, yeah, we've seen some great performances, but for this long, for this many weeks in a row, and, and and Devontae and Rodgers have been number one and two, I think, as far as grades for the Packers offense for several weeks now because those two are just absolutely unstoppable, which is another thing I don't think I've ever seen happen. The consistent dominance by both of those guys is incredible it's not something that just happened because of the the vikings defense 14 targets 11 receptions 136 yards 9.7 yards per target 12.4 yards per reception he added a touchdown his longest reception was 30 yards after that alan lazard had a big day again when this team does well it's because you've got other guys getting in the mix and when you got alan lazard doing what he does things just really, really look in sync. Six targets, six receptions, 72 yards, 12 yards per target, 12 yards per reception, obviously. Added a touchdown, his longest was for 20 yards. After that, you got Aaron Jones. Again, keep the legs fresh, but you can bring him in for other stuff. He's a fantastic receiver. Six targets, five receptions, 30 yards, 12 yards was his long. After that, you had A.J. Dillon, at least from a yardage standpoint, Only three targets and two receptions, but he added 20 yards with an 11-yard scamper mixed in. Then you got Equinemius, two targets, one reception for 14 yards. You've got Juwan Winfrey had one reception for 14 yards. Josiah DeGuara had two receptions for 11, and Tyler Davis had two for 9. So just spreading the ball around. I mean, you, you got a heavy dose of Devontae, as well as a balanced rushing attack, but also you add in Dylan Lazar, Jones, DeGuara, Tyler Davis, EQ, Juwan Winfrey, MVS, Dominique Daphne. I don't think I mentioned MVS had one reception for three yards. Uh, Dominique won for zero, so I guess he doesn't count. But in general, you know, you could add in Mercedes Lewis. You can add in Randall Cobb. You can add in whoever. When you get a healthy mix of other guys on top of what we already have, it's a it's a, it's a work of art. Um, on the D I I should probably not necessarily do defense because we can do that when we do the grade. So I think I'm going to wait on defense. Same with special teams, I'll wait on that. Um, What else? Time of possession, Green Bay Packers won 38-21. Packers ran 74 plays compared to the Vikings' 52. 481 yards compared to their 206. Uh, 6.5 yards per play compared to their four. We had one penalty compared to their one. Um, touchdowns, we had four. They had one. Field goals, we were three. They were one. Uh, uh, Let's see. I'm trying to see if we lost any of these. We already know the uh, attempts and completions were higher. Completion percentage was higher. Passing yards, we had more. Yards per attempt, we had higher. We won yards per completion. We won passing touchdowns. Sacks taken, they had two. We had zero. Um, Passer rating, we were higher. We had more carries, we had more rushing yards, we had more yards per carry, 5.4 as a team compared to their 2.5 as a team. Rushing touchdowns, we had two, they had zero. First downs, we had 29 compared to their 11. Passing first downs, 17 compared to their 8. Rushing first downs, we had 11 compared to their 2. We each had one penalty resulting in a first down, so that was a tie, we can hand them that. Third downs, we were 7 of 13, they were 2 of 12, so we were 54%, they were 17%. Fourth downs, they beat us. They were 1 of 4, we were 0 for 1, so technically they're 25%, we're 0%. Red zone, they beat us again, they were 1 for 1, which is 100%. We were 3 of 7, 43%. Granted, I would not switch with them. As a percentage, they won, I would happily take 3. Passes defended, 5 compared to 1. Sacks, 2 compared to 0. Tackles, they beat us, which makes sense, because their defense was on the field a lot more. But still, tackles for a loss... We had six, they had two. Anyways, we're making fairly good time. I want to take a break here so that I can just kind of coast through the rest of what I'd, what it is we need to look at and not have to worry about when to take a break. Um, I do have to say thank you to Mr. Gary for jumping back into the Patreons. Greatly, greatly appreciated. Thank you very much. Once again, if you're thinking about supporting, uh, it would be greatly appreciated if you would check out my pinned tweet on Twitter, helping out at Draft Hobbyist, Mr. Drew Um, he's looking to get a seizure service dog to help him with his epilepsy, and I'm hoping we can help him get home. He's got, he's got a long way to go. So anything that you can give, if it's a dollar, $5, $10, whatever it is, would be greatly appreciated. Um, we've got a lot of people tuning in now, now that, uh, we had that big win. The playoffs are coming in. January is always a big time for listenership, which is fantastic. And I'm hoping I can catch a few people, uh, catch a few people's ears. Again, head over to pack underscore daddy on Twitter. It is my pinned tweet. It'll take you to his GoFundMe, and anything you give will be greatly appreciated. We will take a quick break. We'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. about seeing what you could potentially get right now you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arena club.com slash pack Wow. That's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arena club.com slash pack for 10% off your first purchase. Before we jump into PFF, we might as well uh, cut ourselves off at the knees. Another guy that I've told you about to check out on Twitter that you probably already have by now because he's got a pretty big following now, but Dara, he's always real good at finding little nuggets and throwing them out on Twitter and whatnot. So I want to give you some what I'm calling Dara stats because it sounds like a cool thing. That's like a a measuring device. It's like a thermostat, but it's a Dara stat. You get the joke. One of the stats, and this one's kind of funny that he kept up on this because it's, it's something we talked about might have even been two years ago. I don't know. It was kind of a big deal. But um, the Packers and how unbelievably good they are in the second quarter, this via Dara, who did the homework for all of us, Packers were the highest scoring second quarter football team in 2020, 2021, and now 2022. I would love to know what that is. When I was doing that, um, the video work for the, the Chalk Wars, which by the way, that video is up on YouTube, Packernet Podcast. You can find it at Packernet Podcast on Facebook. So it's a really, really, really fun video. But one of the things that Coach Hahn was doing is he tried a lot of different formations and he tried a lot of different things to see how um, Sam would react. A lot of it was, and it's not that he's not trying to get yards and trying to get down the field, but a lot of it is, we need to find out what your game plan is. And, and I'm going to use the early part of this, this first drive. We're going to do our best to get down the field, but my goal is to uncover your game plan so that I know how to attack you. And I just wonder if there's a part of that with the Green Bay Packers. Now, it doesn't necessarily explain why the second quarter is so good, and then they fall off in the third and fourth. Maybe the other teams start to adjust to their adjustments. I don't know. But that's really the only thing I can think of. And if you think about how long the drives usually go, I mean, they might only be on their second or third series by the time the second quarter rolls around. And so what you've got is sort of this uh, fact-finding mission and so the Packers get a good idea of what you're going to do. When we do this, you're going to do this. So we're going to be ready to, to throw that counter at you. And they just blast in the second quarter. It's the only thing I can come up with. Because again, this you have a 1 in 32 shot of being the highest scoring second quarter team. I mean, not really. I mean, if you have a good offense, you have a better chance. But for all intents and purposes, that would mean you have roughly a 1, 000, 1 in 1,024 shot of doing it two years in a row and a 1 in 32,768 chance of doing it three years in a row just by random chance. Point is, it's not really random chance. And again, okay, so even if we say, okay, well, they've been a top 10 offense, that's still a 1 in 1,000 shot. There's something weird about that and in the, in the way that they do things. But um, again, fun little nugget. Uh, David Moore, who is everybody's new favorite punt slash kick slash everything special teamer, David Moore just had the Packers' longest punt return in 48 games. You know that's that's actually hilarious. I mean, obviously it's hilarious, but I'm I'm just as I'm thinking about it, the punt return was 21 yards. It wasn't that long, but I remember. I mean, I it was weird because it was one of those things you just felt like, dude, that was awesome, and everybody was super hyped up about it. And I, I my, uh. I put this on Twitter, but my son had made a point. He's like, "Is that the longest? Was that the longest punt return for the Packers?" And I thought, "Yeah, that was that was definitely the longest probably this season." And he said, "No, I mean like ever in their friend like in in their history." And I just kind of chuckled about it because I wasn't even sure that was the longest of the season. I couldn't think of any good ones, but I thought there had to have been one where they got kind of kind of a chunk. I don't know, so it didn't surprise me to find out that was the longest. But forty eight freaking games! I mean, that's 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 three straight years, not including playoffs, which you add a couple games in there, but that's that's three years ago, and it's just 21 yards. That is such an unbelievably low bar. That's crazy. It's been pretty widely reported at this point, so you probably have already heard this, but we're, we're doing Dara stats, so here you go. The Packers are the only undefeated home team in the NFL this season. He adds in, and they don't have to leave Lambeau to go to the Super Bowl which is a nice little wrinkle. But that's also pretty crazy because we know about home field advantage. We know about teams that, that really do a good job of, of winning at home. But to be undefeated at home, that's that's pretty rare. In fact, since 2010, I can do my own daro stats. Since 2010, there's only been 11 teams that have done it. Three of those 11 have been the Green Bay Packers. 2011 Packers, 2014 Packers, and now the 2021 Green Bay Packers. Uh, two of those teams were the New Orleans Saints in 2011 and 2013. Um, Denver did it once in 2014, Carolina 2015, Cincinnati 2013. New England, shockingly, only did it once in 2010. Um, oh, I'm sorry. No, I, I had to go to 11. They've done it twice. It was 2010 and 2018, and then Seattle in 2012. But it, it is very surprising for New England, especially, with not only being as dominant as they have been, but also playing in such a garbage division. But we're talking about 384 different teams, I believe. Boom, nailed it, just checked. 384 teams, and um, only 11 of 384 have swept at home. It might have been 13, I don't know. Point is, it's a rare feat. I wonder if anybody's done away ever. Looks like uh, 2020 Kansas City Chiefs, 2014 Dallas Cowboys, and 2016 Patriots undefeated on the road, so there you go. Um, Dara also pulled up Matt LaFleur's regular season games after Thanksgiving. Uh, it's an image, but I'm going to read the image to you. Ready? Win, 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 buy, win, 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 win. You know, this, this, this is, this is stupid how good this team is. It's really stupid. And I'm 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 having a hard I'm I'm mad at myself for not appreciating this enough. Again, just thinking flat out odds being 50-50 that you win any of these games. And I'm not going to grant that it's a good team because it's not a a given that you're a good team. You could be a bad team. Win, 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 win. It's all wins. And by the way, most of these games, because they kind of stack the divisional games, you could say, well, that's because you're playing a lot of lions and bears. But that's a great thing. We dominate our own division. We we crush the Bears and the Lions and the Vikings in addition to teams like Tennessee 40 to 14, the Rams 36 to 28, the Giants 31 to 13. I mean in addition to just beating up on some other teams, we crush in our own division. And what a great thing to be so hot at the end of the year. Well, it hasn't paid off yet. You know what? I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. We're being grateful right now. Uh, next stat, Rashawn Gary now leads the entire league in pressures since week six, despite having missed a game due to injury along the way. His pressure rate is 16.8% is freaky. I posted quite a few Rashawn Gary stats, um, but that is one that I did not, one that I'm not planning on talking about when we go over PFF stats, so there you go. By the way, again, speaking of appreciation, to go from a guy that, um, really wasn't very appreciated by the fan base, even, even... I supported Rashawn Gary, but that doesn't mean I ever expected him to be this. I didn't. In fact, I don't know if anybody did, outside of Mike Smith, who said he was the best pass rusher in the entire draft class, which he's proving to be. Do you know how stupid that is? We, you know, we look at him, we're like, oh yeah, that's cool, he's second. Wow, that's crazy. No, 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 he's second. Do you know what that means? He's ahead of Nick and Joey Bosa. He's ahead of Khalil Mack. He's ahead of Von Miller. Pick your favorite... He's ahead of Miles Garrett. Nobody's talking about the guy. He's ahead of Miles Garrett. Massively underappreciated by not just the media, but the pa- by Packers fans. And I'm not saying hating on the guy. We're, we're well beyond hating on the guy. Most of the people have come around to Rashawn Gary and at least are quiet about Rashawn Gary now. I'm not getting these, these dumb little tweets about, oh, where's your guy, Rashawn? Yeah, th- those all suddenly disappeared. But even still, we... I do not appreciate Rashawn Gary enough. He is one of the most, one of the premier pass rushers, and he's just another young, up-and-coming player, still on his rookie contract. Another pickup from Brian Gudekunst, who just like Matt LaFleur, just like everybody else gets no respect around here. Should just start calling the whole Packers team the Rodney Dangerfields. Wouldn't be a bad name, the Dangerfields. You know, he got field in it, too, so that's a thing. But just another day at the office for, Rashad, for uh, Brian Gutekunst, picking a guy, everybody laughs at him, says he's an idiot. Just like Jair was overdrafted. Just like A.J. Dillon shouldn't have even been in the second round. That was a, a completely wasted pick. Elton Jenkins was a no-name nobody. Josh Myers was a bad pick. But we can't give him any credit because he drafted Jordan Love. So, even by the way, even if Jordan Love is the worst football player to ever grace a football field, it doesn't mean anything everybody has misses. Everybody has misses. And the idea that he's not allowed to do that because it might upset the quarterback, I don't give a crap. Aaron Rodgers needs to be a big boy. You're old. You're declining. You're expensive. They really like Jordan Love. Your head coach loved Jordan Love, so they picked him up just in case. Because on the off chance you leave, there's nothing more important than a quarterback. So they took a shot. whoop de Let's burn the guy's house down. Let's cry about it year after year after year after year after year. Who cares? Who cares? Go get Patrick Queen, one of the most garbage linebackers in all of football, and you still would rather have that guy. The guy's a liability. He's horrible. He's trash. And guess what? You know what's really going to blow your mind? If they trade Jordan Love and extend Aaron Rodgers, you know what's really going to make you angry, even though you're going to be celebrating and dancing in the streets, haha! and then you're going to be mad at Gutekunst. See, you stupid idiot, I hate you. You shouldn't have done that because you have no emotional control. You know what's really going to drive you nuts? The first thing Brian Gutekunst is going to be doing after that happens is scouting quarterbacks. He's going to be looking at quarterbacks because it's the most important position on a football team and Aaron Rodgers can't play forever. We have to look to the future. We have to find the next quarterback. I'm sorry that hurts your feelings, but that's just the reality. If Jordan Love isn't the guy, they move on and they go get another one, and then another one, and hopefully it's going to be when Aaron Rodgers is here. Don't think for one second they're going to say, well, we don't want to upset Aaron Rodgers. He might throw a hissy fit, so we got to wait till he leaves before we draft a quarterback. Nope, ain't going to do it because Brian Gutekunst isn't an idiot. He's going to draft a quarterback while Rodgers is still here. That's assuming... Jordan Love isn't the next quarterback, which we don't know yet. We've so- seen him throw like nine passes. <sighs> so yeah, Rashawn Gary's real good. Next, stat. The Packers have missed just 82 tackles this year. Every other team in the league has missed at least 100. Hashtag Joe Barry effect. Now, it is worth noting that the defense seems to have declined a little bit, but that's a major thing. I've been saying for years that there is a strong correlation between a defense that tackles well and a, just a good defense overall. There aren't a lot of really good tackling teams that just tackle well but don't do anything else well. I'm sure it happens sometimes, but it's just there's there's something about the the fundamental nature, the attitude, the aggressiveness of a team that just gets you down immediately and doesn't miss tackles that that permeates throughout a defense and makes it a very good defense. We've seen in the past Packer, and by the way, before Joe Barry, the Packers have always been a terribly a terrible tackling team. So we've seen instances where the Packers seem to be doing a good... We got some good pass rushers. Or for a glimmer of time, they're really good at stopping the run. That never goes for an entire year. Or they're good in coverage with Jair and, and whatever else we got going on, Savage and Amos. But it's almost never accompanied by, oh, and by the way, they're really good at tackling. That's just not a thing. Next stat, the Packers haven't allowed a sack in their last two games this is their offensive line. Left tackle, undrafted free agent, third stringer. Left guard, sixth round pick, third stringer. Center, undrafted free agent, backup. Right guard, fourth round pick, rookie. Right tackle, unwanted 32-year-old backup. That's it, man. And again, we, we, we can talk... Look, I'm, I'm going to be doing this all night, talking about things like You can't just say that Matt LaFleur doesn't get any credit for this team and it's all Aaron Rodgers because this is remarkable. Whether it's Matt LaFleur or our offensive coordinator or our offensive line coaches, the point is a really good team in football. Maybe in baseball you can do it. Maybe in basketball you can do it. Maybe in soccer you can do it. You cannot be a really good, well-balanced football team that has a garbage GM, a garbage head coach, a garbage roster, but a really good quarterback. That is such a ridiculous fantasy that so many people try to perpetuate. It's unbelievable to me that people think this way and try to just dismiss all the people that I mentioned as being dismissed, right? Rashawn Gary's real good. Nah, it's all in right, 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 right. The offensive line's doing a great job, which they are, by the way. Well, yeah, it's easy when Rodgers gets the ball out of his hand. Do you have any data for that, that Rodgers just gets the ball out of his hand really fast and that's the only reason there are no sacks? Because that's not my recollection, but if you have data to show me that, I'd love to see it. And I'm not doubting that's part of the equation. There's no doubt in my mind that's part of the equation, but just the the immediate need to dismiss and to just not give credit for, for the sake of probably either sounding smart or just being disrespectful or whatever the case is, and I get... I get what you're saying. I get that you're trying to not just throw blanket praise out there, but they do deserve some—and that was the whole point of what I was talking about before. There's no question missing Kirk Cousins helped us a little bit, but that doesn't mean they don't get any credit. Same with this. This is not just because Aaron Rodgers gets the ball out of his hand in 1.25 seconds. That's, that's fantasy. Um, if we look at PFF's time-to-throw metric, Does he get get it out of his hand relatively quickly? I I just went since week nine, just randomly. I promise you, I'm not just, I didn't go through every week to try to find the worst week. I just figure if I go from the beginning of the year, somebody's going to say, yeah, well, not everybody was injured, although that's not even, that's barely even true. They've been pretty decimated since day one. But Aaron Rodgers is 11th, 11th out of 41. That's quick. 2.61 seconds is fairly quick. But Dalton, Davis Mills, Tua, Jimmy Garoppolo, Ryan Tannehill, Cam Newton, Tim Boyle, Tom Brady, Colt McCoy, Ben Roethlisberger—all getting the ball out of his hand. Their hands faster. By the way, Ben Roethlisberger getting the ball out of his hand in 2.25 seconds, and still having been sacked about as probably more than just about anybody else <laughs> is pretty remarkable. He's actually tied for fourth most sacked quarterback. So again, that's even 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 if. We said it was that he gets the ball out of his hand really, really quickly. Ben Roethlisberger just proved that that's not a foolproof strategy. That's not good enough. He he gets the ball out of his hand faster than every quarterback in the NFL. He's the fourth most sacked quarterback in football. So you know what? It's not good enough. It's a part of a full strategy, no question. But there's a bigger strategy. I'm sorry, but you don't get to be head coach in the in the NFL ranks and say, well, what do we do about this decimated offensive line? I don't know. Drop some play where he throws the ball quick. Boom, problem solved. Don't even need an offensive line. I mean, if that was the case, geez, all these guys wasting all this time going out getting offensive linemen. Why do we even bother to pay David Bakhtiari? That was stupid. Just have Aaron Rodgers throw it in 2.65 seconds, which isn't even that fast. 2.5 is usually that like, hey, we got to get going, Mark. But anyways... But anyways, why don't we dive into um, this week's grades? Again, some of this information I already put out, but top players for the Green Bay Packers with, we'll call it, good grades. Um, I'm going to go from about Jawan Winfrey here. He had a 68.4 overall grade. I'm going to call that good. Uh, 68.4 for Jawan. Uh, John Runyon, love to see it. Basically a 70 overall grade, 69.0. We'll get into the particulars in a minute. Patrick Taylor. 71.3. 71.3. I mentioned I really, really like seeing him. In fact, we got three running backs in a row Patrick Taylor, 71.3, A.J. Dillon, 72.9, Aaron Jones, 73.8. They were all right in line. Um, the highest rushing grade did go to A.J. Dillon, but his pass blocking grade was pretty terrible, so he was second. But um, yeah, I thought all three of them looked fantastic. I thought Patrick did a good job. Again, the, the statistics Aaron Jones is a freak, A.J. Dillon did good, and Patrick Taylor was subpar, but that did not tell the, the whole story for anybody that watched it. After that, you got Dennis Kelly, which, again, pause, reflect. What a fantastic pickup by Brian Gudekunst. Now, he hasn't been that big of a contributing factor, but on a week-to-week basis, you keep seeing these guys pop up that are people that are just picked up or late-round draft picks or whatever it is. You go down the line of kind of scraps, throwaways, late-round picks, whatever. Alan Lazar, Dennis Kelly. Aaron Jones was a mid-round pick. Patrick Taylor, John Runyon, Jawan Winfrey, Mercedes Lewis, Royce Newman, Yash Nyman. I mean, I'm literally going in order here. Uh, Lucas Patrick, Cole Van Lannon. I mean, just down the line. Anyways, continuing upward. Alan Lazard with a 79.0 overall grade. Almost cracked the 80s. We can call it 80. Why not? We're having a good day. Then you get into just these stupid elite, the not even fair. I'm, I'm going to have to do some digging here or maybe just wait for Dara to do it. But again, I just I don't know about a run that's been this good. Both Devontae and Aaron have one game in the 70s since this little streak started. But anyways, for this week, before we move on to that, Devontae Adams, 89.0, elite. Aaron Rodgers, 90.2, elite. Devontae Adams, he had a stretch. Let's see. So, I mean, he's been basically dominant all year. He's got a 92.5 overall grade. I Again, I have said every year for I don't know how many years he can't get any higher. It's time to start regressing, right? He had a 72.6 in 2016, 80.5 in 2017. That was his big jump, right? So then it's like, well, where's he going to go from there? Then 87.8, 2018, you're thinking that's that's cream of the crop. That's incredible. That's an elite overall grade, basically. Um, it's it's probably time to start coming down. Then he gets an 88. And you're like, all right, well, he he... <laughs> You know, it's, it's, it's clearly tapering, right? We just kind of scrape in the top of the mountain. Now it's time to come back. Nope, little spike up to 92.0 in 2020. All right, all right. Now, because 92 is about as high as you can get humanly, 92 is about it, time to come down. Right now, 92.5, and his best has been the last couple weeks or the last five, seven, whatever weeks. But as far as consistency goes, Aaron Rodgers' last bad game was against Seattle, right? And that was him coming off of, of, you know, the Kansas City debacle. Um, Came out a little flat, 47.3 overall grade, not great. Since then, 81, 85, 72, 79, 84, and 90. So this 90 was his highest of the entire season via PFF, right? Subjective, whatever. Um, But... That's 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 pure consistency. When when seventy two is your lowest, and that was against Chicago in week fourteen, he has been just on a, a, a nonstop tear. If you just go back, well, how how consistent has he been in the past? He had a three game streak, weeks five, six, and seven. That's it. Uh, before that was a sixty four. After that was a sixty eight. Devontae. His last, we'll call it a bad game. He's had zero bad games, by the way. 60.4 was his worst game, also against Seattle. Since week 11, 89, 80, 87, uh, 89, 71, 85, and 89. So um, he's had one, two, three, four, five of his last six games have been in the 80s, with uh, two of them at 89. It's just, it's just stupid. And I'm terrified that there's going to be that one bad game, that one Seattle game sometime in the playoffs, and that's going to derail us. But if this continues, I don't know what you do about it, man. Anyways, on the low end of the spectrum, below 60, uh, nobody was below a 50 again, which I I keep saying that's so rare that never happens. Last week, I did the same thing. I, I went back to see how far we had to go before somebody was in the 40s. We had to go back to like week 11 or something crazy. But again, everybody that's, that was quote-unquote bad was below average. Nobody was actually bad, though. Tyler Davis, Equinemius, Jordan Love, MVS, Dominique Daphne, and Josiah Deguara at the bottom with a 50.7. Nobody was quote-unquote bad. If we look at the blocking grades, um, run blocking, we had the highest run blocker was actually Josiah Deguara with a 79, then MVS, then Tyler Davis. You're catching on to a pattern, I'm sure. Then Dennis Kelly with his 70.4. Everybody else was in the 60s until you get down to Dominique Daphne and Lucas Patrick were down in the 50s. And then the worst of the worst, Equinemius St. Brown, he gave it his best shot on nine attempts, but ended up with a 36 overall grade. Didn't work super great. Pass blocking, A.J. Dillon was the only one that really, really struggled. He only had three pass blocking attempts, but allowed one hurry, had a 23 overall grade. Yash had a 65. He was the next lowest, which 65 is is not terrible. Uh, allowed three pressures, two hurries, and one hit. That's fine with me. Dominique Daphne with a 66 overall grade. He only had one attempt, so that doesn't super matter. Royce Newman, 69 overall grade. He allowed one hit and one hurry. Mercedes with a 70 overall grade. Didn't allow a single pressure. There's only one attempt, but still going to get excited about it because it's Mercedes. John Runyon on his 46 attempts. Uh, 73.3 overall grade, allowed two hurries. And then you get Dennis Kelly, uh, 77 overall grade, didn't allow a single pressure. And Lucas Patrick, 84.1 overall grade, no pressures allowed. Flipping over to the defensive side of things, lots and lots of good. Uh, We did have one really bad player, not super surprising. He, I I saw him kind of get like, Burned that one time, I'm sure you remember it too. And then you heard the name, and it's like, oh well, that's why he got be Isaac yadam right? It is what it is, man. He just he's he's never really been a, a super high producer, but he was in there toward the end of the game. He got burned on that 30 yard pass. He ended up on um, just eight plays, and when you have one of eight plays giving up 30 yards, you end up with a 28.9 overall grade. Otherwise, three players were below a 60. The lowest was Abdullah Anderson with a 55 overall grade, which is not that bad. Uh, typical 58, and Darnell Savage, who continues to struggle at 58.4. Um, Savage has not had a good game since LA, and that was even a 69.2. An official 70, week 10 against Seattle. He had back-to-back 70 games. Those are the only two games he's had all year in the 70s, and his highest is a 77.1, so he is not having a very good year. Uh, His rookie year, he had a 65 overall grade, 2020, 72 overall grade, 2021, a 60 overall grade. It would be an interesting question for Coach Hahn because I do remember him talking about how important safeties are in this scheme. It's entirely possible that this is just a very complex thing for safeties and he's just kind of struggling, which doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing. Maybe it just, it's going to take a little bit of time because one of the things that Coach Hahn mentioned is you can be a star in this system. And I think he was I think he was talking mostly about Amos, but I think it's one of those things where it's really complex, and so you can be really, really bad, but once you figure it out, you can really thrive in it. I, I don't know that. That's my thought process. I try to remember to catch up with him on that. Coach, if you're listening, let me know. But he is he's struggling worse than he has even as a rookie. Beyond that, though, uh, a couple guys in the 70, uh, 60s but 11 out of 21. So half the defense had 70 overall grades or higher. Kenny Clark was 11th and he had a 72.3 overall grade. There, there have been times in the past where 72.3 is the highest grade on the entire defense, but 72.3, he had three pressures on 31 attempts, which is acceptable. It's not great. You hope for a little bit better, but it is what it is. That's 10%. Um, Jonathan Garvin with a 73 overall grade, and one pressure on 10 attempts, that's 10%, I'll take it. Shamar Jean Charles got in on the action a little bit in the slot, nine uh, plays, all of which in coverage, 73 overall grade, we'll get into the specifics of his stats in a little bit, but he graded out just fine. TJ Slayton at the nose, 74 overall grade, he didn't have any pressures on 16 attempts, which is not great, you're kind of hoping for one, at least one, uh, ideally maybe two, but um, still fine. He didn't grade out terribly, 65 uh, pass rush, 69 run defense, so it's good enough, especially when you get that 70 run defense. That's all I'm asking for. Adrian Amos, um, who is another one that kind of was struggling, but seems to be doing a little bit better anyways than than Darnell Savage is. Not his best year, definitely, but um, it's comparable to his first year in Green Bay, I guess, grade-wise. But a good day from for Adrian Amos, uh, week seven. Kevin King, another guy that's just, I mean, kind of shockingly, I'd, shockingly good. Maybe overstating it. He's got some really bad grades in here and whatnot. But it's been pretty surprising. It's his best year. He's got a sixty-nine point three overall grade. His highest previously was twenty nineteen. That was when he had um, five interceptions. And even on that five interception season, he only had a 62 overall grade because obviously he was bad outside of those five interceptions, but he's, he's, he's got a higher grade than that right now, despite, uh, having just the one interception, but, uh, another good day for Kevin King, 76.8, Tyler Lancaster with a 78.7 overall grade, uh, only seven, pre- uh, pass rush attempts, zero pressures. So again, you kind of hoping for one, but it's, it's somewhere between zero and one. Um, Dean Lowry had a real good day. Um, by the way, Tyler Lancaster, he was so high because of his run defense grade. He had a great day against the run. Dean Lowry though, um, decent against the run Four pressures on 28 attempts. That's more than enough. Great day. Devondre Campbell coming in third, another fantastic day for him. I'd mentioned this was a while ago now, but he was having a rough patch and it was kind of unfortunate because of how pivotal he had become. But um, he's just been on track and, and, and doing great things for a while now. 85.2 overall grade is just fantastic. And he just basically, aside from pressure, which he's not been very good at, at bringing pressure, but um, in every other category, he's been dominant. And coverage has actually been his best, which is shocking, because we all watch him play. And how good of a tackler and everything he is, to think that he's better in coverage seems like just a, a complete lie. Um, Rashawn Gary coming in second with an 85.5 overall grade. They actually bumped up his stats. I, I tweet I remember I tweeted he had seven pressures. they they apparently revised this. He had eight pressures on 31 attempts. 8 divided by 31 is 25.8. We're calling it 26%. So um, I, I mentioned Dara's stat um, second in a lot of different categories, his grades, his stats, He's fantastic. The sacks aren't where we wish they were. I, I I get that, and those are very important. They are more important than just a, a hit or a hurry. There's no question about it, but the, these pressures are so important. I, I have no doubt in my mind that it contributes to how good our secondary has been and our corners have been and and you know some of these interceptions. I'm not saying they're all attributed to Rashawn Gary and, and Preston Smith, but a little bit, it definitely can be. Uh, number one, Chris Barnes with a 92.3 overall grade. I just want to run across all of his stats. 66 against the run, 78 tackling, 70.4 as a pass rusher, and a 91.1 coverage grade. Another thing that I should look up, but I'm not going to do right now, but um, I feel like when our linebackers have a good day, our defense has a really good day. Am I I lying when I say that? Because that feels like an accurate thing. But again, uh, I ran through all the pressures, but Abdullah Anderson had one uh, hurry. Tipa had one hurry. Jonathan Garvin had one hurry. Preston Smith had a sack in a hurry, uh, and that was on 29 attempts, so not his best day as a pass rusher, and he had an even worse day against the run, but he's allowed a day because he's been fantastic. Kenny Clark, three pressures, all hurries. Dean Lowry had his four were all hurries, and then Rashawn had one sack, three hits and four hurries on the day. Batted passes, Dean Lowry had his one. Um, tackling, it was Devondre Campbell with seven. And then Stokes, actually, with four, was the next highest. Um, missed tackles. This is ridiculous. Looking at missed tackles, if we look at it, it doesn't really matter, but just for the heck of it, if we sort by missed tackle percentage, you know who um, had the most missed tackles? It was Preston Smith. You know how many he had? One. Nobody else had a single missed tackle the entire day. That's just stupid. Uh, Run stops, which are tackles which are a negative play for the offense. Devondre Campbell had six of them, followed by Chris Barnes, and then, you know, a bunch for everybody else. Getting into coverage, uh, if we sort, let's sort by yards. Adrian Amos gave up the most yards. What a horrible day Adrian had. This bum. Five targets, three receptions, 38 yards. Ugh. 38 yards. Just give him the game, will you? No touchdowns, no picks, no pass breakup. Isaac Yadam with his nine or eight snaps in coverage one target, one reception, 30 yards. Then you got Chandon Sullivan, four targets, four receptions, 30 yards. Rasul Douglas, four targets, two receptions, uh, 23 yards, and a pass breakup. Jeez. No pick sixes. Can we cut this guy already? What is he even doing on this team? Devondre Campbell with his 85 overall coverage grade. The two highest graded coverage guys, by the way, uh, by far, were our linebackers. But six targets, five receptions, 22 yards. Darnell Savage, one target, one reception, 14 yards. He did give up a touchdown, though, which is going to obviously impact his grade. Preston Smith, two targets, one reception, and a pass breakup. Freaking Preston. Um, Eric Stokes. Five targets, only one reception for 10 yards. What has Stokes been doing lately? We'll pop that up in a minute. Shamar Jean Charles, two targets, two receptions, only eight yards. Kevin King, one target, one reception for six yards. And then finally, Chris Barnes, four targets, two receptions, only two yards given up. Um, Eric Stokes, if we look at yardage, his last bad game which was one of his only ones, but against Minnesota. Seven targets, five receptions, 102 yards, and a touchdown. Since then, he gave up 20 yards to the Rams. Uh, He gave up zero yards to the Chicago Bears on three targets. Um, He's given up on seven receptions, only 35 yards, Um, 29 yards to Cleveland, and 10 yards to Minnesota. Well, this is tripping me out. PFF just made a uh, big update, and I'm really trying to, like, what is going on here? So confusing. All right, I, now we're back. By the way, if we look at this, um, Eric Stokes, there's only 25 players. But if we look at, in that span, from week 12 until now, for corners that have played at least 200 coverage snaps, there's 25 of them. Um, First of all, Eric Stokes has the fourth highest grade. Since Week 12, he has an 80 overall coverage grade, so that's fantastic. Um, The only players higher, Kendall Fuller is third, Marshawn Lattimore is second, and Razul Douglas is first. So since Week 12, we have the number one and number four corners in football, at least with guys that have played a significant amount. Um, But also, if you look at in terms of yards, Eric Stokes is the second lowest amount of yards given up. AJ Terrell for Atlanta is the only one that's given up less. Uh, Eight receptions for 57 yards. Stokes, 94 yards. Patrick Peterson has given up 106 yards. He also is second for uh, reception percentage. Only 42.4% of the time when he's targeted does the guy catch it. If you look at yards per reception, Eric Stokes, number one, 6.7 yards per reception. If you look at longest receptions, Eric Stokes is third, the longest reception given up against Eric Stokes since week 12, 16 yards. Jalen Ramsey and A.J. Terrell are the only ones that are better. And obviously, if you're looking at interceptions, number one, Razul Douglas with four. Next is Patrick Sertain with, or Sertain, whatever, with three. And Diggs and Terrell. Frustratingly, dropped interceptions, Stokes has two, which is tied for first with a bunch of other guys. But, uh, yeah, he's got two dropped interceptions. Stokes doesn't have any interceptions, but he had two opportunities that he let go. By the way, they did credit Stokes with giving up a touchdown in this span. Only two cornerbacks in this entire group did not give up a touchdown. That's Patrick Sertan and Jalen Ramsey. Everyone else has given up at least one. 11 of them have given up at least two. And then you got Michael Davis has given up three, Bryce Hall, three, and Anthony Brown, four. If you look at passer rating, uh, third best is Razul Douglas with a 47.5, uh, Eric Stokes 60.0. If you look at uh, snaps per reception, Razul Douglas is fifth, Eric Stokes is sixth. So it'd probably be better to to bump down the number of, of coverage snaps here for these per pass, per snap kind of things. Still really, really impressive stuff. Anyways, very quickly looking at special teams grades, we only had one guy that graded out um Kind of, I mean, I guess we we'll we'll call it three for the sake of rounding up. Only one was in the 70s, but Henry Black, 68.5, Oren Burke, 69, Rizul Douglas, 70.0. Fortunately, um, nobody was below a 50, so that's nice. But um in the 50s, you had Stokes, EQ, Josiah Aguara, Tipogalea, Chris Barnes, Dominique Daphne, Isaac Yadam, Isaiah McDuffie and Joan Winfrey, basically the entire special team. But nothing, nothing horrific. And that's all we ask for. I don't need you to be great just don't suck like a lot. Kicking grades Mason Crosby 67, Corey Bajorquez 57. I feel like Corey's been pretty terrible lately. He's the one downside to this entire special teams group, but um, hoping he can figure that out because I, I feel like he is not he has not kicked a good punt in what feels like six weeks. And then finally returning David Moore 67.3 grade which just makes me so happy because I have not seen a positive return grade for the Packers in forever three returns 33 yards one fair caught one uh, as long as 21 yards we already kind of talked about that but 11 yards per return on average so all good things but i got to get going you folks have yourselves a wonderful glorious fantastic tuesday and we'll talk to you tomorrow have a good one bye